0: All right, it's Easter time, and as you can see by everywhere you go, it, the countdown has begun till Easter Sunday. You can see it everywhere with all the candy that exists everywhere in every single place. And so, I'm going to—I just wanted to ask a little informal poll of everybody here today. We're going to determine here at the noon service what is the best type of Easter candy. Okay, so uh, first off, I want to know who here who actually likes Cadbury eggs. I heard somebody go, nope, right away. Yeah, some people they just the gooey caramel. Nope, can't do it. Can't do it. So so Cadbury eggs, you got a couple people. Where's my Reese's peanut butter eggs, people? Yeah, my people. Give me some chocolate peanut Somebody stood up and clapped for that. Jazz hands, I'm so excited. Oh man, you love me some peanut butter eggs. Those are good. Where's my people where well, you're not a chocolate person, you're a fruity person. So you're a jelly bean person. Where's the jelly bean people Woo! at? Yeah, very good. That's my wife. My wife and my little girl, Tessa, they're more fruity type of candy. Me and my son give us all the chocolate in the world. So we got those types of candies, but we can't leave out the most important type of Easter junk food that there is. Who loves peeps? Woo! Who loves peeps? Yeah, gross, right? It's just <laughs> terrible. Gross. Um, my my dad loves peeps. Loves peeps. Dad, if you're watching, Dad, if you're watching, I'm about to throw you under the bus. I'm so sorry. My dad, he loves peeps. They're his favorite thing. Peeps are a thing in my whole family. In fact, uh, my family we just don't buy peeps around Easter. We buy them around other stupid holidays. Um, so, like for Christmas, my family has Christmas tree peeps. You seen those? In fact, we have, um, as a weird, my family's weird, as a family heirloom, we have a 30-year-old Christmas peep that keeps getting handed around to people as a practical joke, and how you have to find a way to hand it to another person. You're all revolted, I know. It's like harder than rock right now. <laughs> uh, my dad says when eating peeps, you have to cut the cellophane and open it up and then put it on top of the refrigerator and let them get stale for a week so they're crunchy, then you eat the peeps. Mmm, yum. And if that's not good enough for you, you can also take a peep and put it in the microwave, and, brrr, and you can make a peep s'more. You do lots of stuff like that. Now, it's not just time for all the types of candies. It's also getting ready time for a big egg hunt season and all that, which next week we're having our Easter egg hunt here at the West Campus. Isn't that going to be great? It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have it here on Saturday. Here's the kids making a mad dash for the Easter eggs, here's a picture of my son and one of his friends. Here's a picture of my daughter. She, she misunderstood what to do with her bucket. That's okay. Go back to the picture. All the kids just doing the mad dashes. Thanks. So you have to ask yourselves, like, one, first off, man, come next week to the Easter egg hunt. It's going to be great. If you got little kids, bring them and invite your friends. Two, if you don't have little kids, we could still really use some volunteers. That'd be great. This is not an announcement for that. I'm just saying. But um, have you ever thought about in the midst of all stuff like eggs and candy and chocolate bunnies and the Easter bunny and eggs and all this craziness? How in the world did any of this ever get associated with Easter Sunday? Have you ever thought that? Like, wait a minute, there's no eggs or Easter bunnies in the Bible? Wait a minute, it makes no sense. I've seen parents of Christian kids try to do theological gymnastics and ninjutsu. trying to figure out, well, see, it's like the empty tomb is like an egg that you open up and Jesus is inside. But daddy, it's jelly beans inside. I know, pretend it's Jesus. I'm eating Jesus. No, you're not eating Jesus. Never mind. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute. That doesn't make sense. Well, today, the passage we're going to look at explains Why? eggs ever got associated with Resurrection Sunday and why we do those things at all. helps explain it. So we're in our series called Handoff, where we're talking about the importance of followers of Jesus handing off their faith to somebody else. Our church is full of people who are navigating faith in Christ. Um, It's not just full of people who are, yes, I'm a Christ follower. I'm in all the way on Jesus. Our church also has people in it who aren't sure yet, who still have questions, who still have skepticism, and maybe people who used to believe but got hurt or burnt by religion and are maybe willing to try it one more time. Our church is full of people like that, and it's a gracious space where people can belong before they believe. Now, for those of us who do believe and do identify as a follower of Jesus, one of the most important aspects of your relationship with Jesus is sharing Jesus. Because if it's important to him, it should be important to us. So we're in, uh, our theme verse is 1 Peter 3.15. This is the Apostle Peter writing. We're going to read it out loud together here on the screen. If you're streaming online, I don't care if you're in Starbucks on your phone, read it out loud where you're at too. Okay, here we go. 1 Peter 3.15. Let's read it out loud. Go. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. If you're taking notes and um, your sermon notes are handed to you in your connect folder on your way in, underline those two words with gentleness or three words, with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. We're going to talk a lot about that today. Now for today we're going to be in Acts chapter 17. So if you if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there now. If not, it's on your notes. It's on the screen. Acts chapter 17. Last week we talked about a man named Saul, and we talked about who he received the handoff of faith from a man named Ananias. Well, Saul became Paul, and this is a few decades later where Paul is now one of the greatest missionaries in the history of the world, and he is taking the message of the hope of Jesus to the whole known world. Instead of being in Jerusalem, he's now in Greece, and he's in Athens. And so we're going to read about the handoff that Paul has to this people group here. So Acts 17, verse 16, let's read this. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was waiting for some friends to come from another city, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him, and some asked him, what is this babbler trying to say? Or some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, well, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. He's talking about Easter. See, remember, the big day, America and Western culture thinks the big day for Christians is Christmas. It's a big day. The biggest day is where the day where there's an empty tomb. Amen. That's the biggest day because of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. It validated everything he ever said and ever did. And by his resurrection from the dead, he defeated death and Satan and sin and hell once and for all. Without Easter, there is no Jesus movement. So, of course, Paul's talking about Jesus and the resurrection of the dead. Wow. Verse 19. So then they took him and brought him to meeting in the got er- er- Gosh, I got this right four times in a row today. Aragopagus. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Areopagus. There it is. Thank you. Okay. Areopagus. And they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who live there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Interesting. So Paul then stood up at the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And he's not being mean or pejorative there. That word in the Greek is the same word that we create the term agnostic from. It just means you don't know. So he's not being like, y'all are ignorant, okay? It's not that. It's not that. You're going to hear that word again later on. It's not a negative term. It's just neutral that they don't know. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Now, this is where your notes end. But for the sake of context, we're going to read the rest of the passage on the screen because there wasn't enough space on your paper. Okay. Verse 24. Verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. God is at work in every life doing anything he can that perhaps somebody would reach out for him and find him because he's not far from any one of you. And somebody might need to hear that today or online. God is not far from you. He's with you even now. Wow. Verse 28, quote, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance But now he commands all people everywhere to repent for he has set a day when he'll judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed and he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on the subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed there's the handoff. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Aregopagus. Say that three times as fast. Also a woman named Demarius and a number of others. The title of this afternoon's message is called Easter Eggs and Rabbit Holes. That's right. You heard me. Easter Eggs and Rabbit Holes. Um, if you'd be willing, just as a moment, posture of prayer, we, if you're comfortable, you don't have to if you're not, but just put your hands out, palms up, in front of you like this is a way to pray with our hands. Let's pray, and just in your own words, in the silence of your own hearts, tell God, I'm open and I want to hear from you. You know, and even if you're not sure of this God thing, maybe just try. God, I don't even know if you're real, but if you are. I'm open, and I want to hear from you. Speak, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everybody's said, amen. 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 Okay, so today, we're talking about the handoff between Paul and the Athenians. Between Paul and the Athenians, the people of Athens, and Paul is having a meeting at the Areopagus. There is Areopagus. Here's the picture of it, uh, of where you could go today. This is the Areopagus. You can go there in Athens, in Greece, to this very day. What you see there is people traveling up and down, and tourists checking out this ancient Greek site, as well as people are reliving the steps of Paul and his missionary journeys. Um, What's interesting about the people of Athens is that they are a certain type of people. It says that they spend all their day only talking about the newest and latest ideas. That's important for us to understand, especially those of you who are not yet sure about this whole Jesus thing. Because most people need something to help them take a step of faith, to begin to put their trust in Jesus and to begin to follow him. Um, some people, for instance, need an experience. Some people, they're not gonna begin to follow Jesus unless they first have an experiential encounter um, of some ways that opens up their spiritual eyes, of an encounter with Jesus or the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't matter what you tell them, doesn't matter what you debate with them, they wanna have an experience. This was Paul when he was still Saul. You couldn't debate Saul into faith, except Jesus appeared to him on the road and he had an encounter with him, an experience. Some people need experience. Some people, they don't want to do the spiritual, emotional thing. That's not my deal. And I got time to hear your arguments. I just want to see somebody's example. So instead of like a, a really spiritual, emotional experience, there's some people, they'll be convinced by nothing less than watching a faithful Christ follower be crazy loving. They're the type of people who go, I don't know what you believe. I don't know what you do, but I see your life. There's something different about you and I want what you have. Some people will be like that. So some people need an experience. Some people need an example. Some people need an explanation where their barrier isn't if the other stuff is not you know being inspired by the way somebody lives and it's not even an emotional encounter that touches your spirit. They have intellectual barriers to faith. They need rational philosophical explanations to be able to buy into something. This uh, This is the people in Athens. There's no dramatic Holy Spirit encounter here. There's no dramatic showing of the compassion of Christ. <clears throat> they just need to talk about it and philosophize it. And there's nothing wrong with that. People are different and need different things to help them in their faith journey. So if you're somebody here who's navigating toward, uh, navigating faith with Christ and what is all this Jesus stuff, and maybe navigating faith back into Christ, let me just say to you here, give yourself permission to be different from other people. If you need, what you need is what you need, and that's okay. What if you just tried something? What if you tried, like, you you know you need and you desire an experience that would really help, or you need an example to inspire you, or you need an explanation. What if you tried saying a prayer, God, if you're real, Jesus, if you're real, and if you are actually God's son, I need an explanation, or I need an example. You should ask him for what you need. See what happens. Just give it a shot. Now, for the rest of us, we're looking at this passage of the areopagus. Gosh, man. The Areopagus and Paul handing off to the Athenians. There's a lot of great principles that we can learn about the handoff. So if you're taking notes, we're going to look at this first. Acts 17, 17. So first off, Paul, we see here that he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happen to be there. Underline synagogue and marketplace. This is important. It's noteworthy for us. He's in religious settings and non-religious settings. With religious people and with anybody, it doesn't matter. He's trying to, f- to establish relationships in both realms, not just in the religious sector of town, but in the place where everyone's doing business, where they're doing life, where they're doing commerce, where they're just doing everything outside of that. Um, there's 168 hours a week, uh, and you spend one of them at church. So there's 167 other hours of the week. Paul is doing the one that people spend in the religious circles and then focused on 167 other hours that people are focusing on. Here's the principle we want to talk about first. First off, um, you need to find ways to connect with non-Christians. This is what Paul teaches us here about his handoff. He was finding ways to connect with non-Christians, not just in religious settings but in irreligious settings. He's being intentional about developing relationships with people. Some people in our church, their greatest challenge to following Christ is they just need Christian friends. Um, And so we're great at creating groups to help people develop those relationships and to help facilitate those. But if we're not careful, people who begin to follow Jesus accidentally become totally insulated and in a bubble where all of a sudden... They all the people they know are Christians. Did you know you can't hand off your faith to somebody else if you don't know any non-Christians? Um, the great uh, teacher, he's an Anglican priest, and he was a theologian named John Scott. John Scott, excuse me, John Scott, He coined a term called "rabbit hole Christians." Rabbit hole Christians. Um, A woman later on, a wonderful teacher named Becky Pippert, she wrote a book where she took this analogy and she facetiously wrote about the concept of a rabbit hole Christian in the context of an imaginary story about a Christian college student who is a rabbit hole Christian. Listen to this. She writes, a Christian student pops his head out of his hole and leaves his Christian roommate in the morning and scurries through the day to lectures, only to search frantically for a Christian to sit by. Not odd way to approach the mission field. Thus he proceeds from lecture to lecture. When dinner comes, he sits with other Christians at one huge table and thinks, wow, what a great witness. Hmm. He goes from there to his all-Christian Bible study where he might even catch a prayer meeting where the Christians pray for the non-believers on his floor. But what luck. He has 17 other Christians on his floor. Then at night, he scurries back to his Christian roommate and safe. He made it through the day, and his only contacts with the world were with those mad brave dashes to and from Christian activities. Does this sound familiar? See, if we're not careful, we can accidentally develop bubbles around ourselves when. We can't hand off our faith because we don't know anybody to hand off to. I'm not sure if you know this, but let me just make it clear. Dale and myself and our whole staff and our whole team, we don't want you here every night of the week. <laughs> right. Okay? We don't want you in 15 groups. We don't want you to do that. What we want every Christ follower in our church to do is to be in a Group. If you're in whatever, whatever groups you're in, okay. At least one group and serving in one place so you still have time to have a life outside the walls of this place so you can make relationships with people to hand off your faith. This is what we learned from Paul. Man, he's in the religious settings, but he's in the workplace, in the marketplace. He's meeting people just like where you and I could at your job, at your school if you're a student in your neighborhood with your neighbors with friends of your kids or you know whatever 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 situation you find yourself in you have to find ways to connect and make friends with people who are different from you it's okay to be friends with somebody who believes differently than you it's okay to be friends with somebody who lives differently than you and it's okay to be friends with somebody should i say it who might vote differently than you uh-oh You know, can I side note, in America, we've become allergic to differentness from us. So just culturally, we've got to learn how to be a people who can be with people who are different than us and still develop friendships. Just because you don't like a sliver of a part of who a person is doesn't mean that you can't receive the whole of them as your friend, and be in relationship with them. My goodness, we've got to learn how to do this to have a a civilization, a society but as a follower of Christ, make friends with people, even if they're very different from you. You know what's the easiest way to do this? Food. <laughs> um, I had a friend who um, named Andy Weissenborn, who's a wonderful saint in our church. He's in heaven now with the Lord. And Andy told me uh, he had to have surgery in his mouth because he had cancer in his mouth. And he had to have a surgery where the doctors told him, uh, you need to choose between uh, preserving the ability to speak or preserving the ability to eat. And because of the surgery and the way it happened, they were able to preserve him being able to speak, but he couldn't eat anymore. He couldn't swallow. He could drink a little bit amount of liquid, but he, got, he had to learn how to get nourishment in other ways. And so one day when Andy and I were talking, he said, you know what's the hardest thing about not being able to eat? I'm like, what's that? He's like, it's not even the food I miss I just miss out on relationships because people don't realize But so much of building friendships is when you share a meal together. So let me ask you this. If you're a follower of Christ, you want to develop, uh, you want to connect with non-Christians in your life, who could you invite to have a meal with or a cup of coffee with in the next couple weeks? A neighbor, a friend? If you're a student, what table could you go sit at at lunch with kids who are different than you? What person could you connect with and think about? Invite him, have a meal. Find ways to connect with non-Christians. Okay, that's first thing. Let's keep going. Acts 17, 16. This is at the beginning. Just rewind one verse earlier. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed. When you read that, you should have the soundtrack of bum, bum, bum. He was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Greatly distressed means... Means exactly what it says. Paul was upset, like the kids say these days. Paul was big mad, <laughs> big mad about the idols. Why? Because Paul was a Jewish man and believed in the Jewish scriptures. And this is what the Bible says about idols. The third commandment in the 10th commandment says this You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. Idolatry is a huge deal to God. Not only that, Paul himself wrote these words in 1 Corinthians 10. It says, do I mean that food sacrificed to an idol is anything, or that an idol is anything? No. Like, no, these are not real gods. But... The sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to participate with demons. So Paul is walking through Athens and he sees all these idols. And he knows in his worldview that these people are worshiping demons and not even knowing it. Big mad. Big mad. So he's upset, distressed, Distraught. We put Acts 17, 16 on the screen. You can see it there. He is greatly disturbed. And so when he begins to speak to the people about how upset he is, this is what Paul decides to lead with. And he says this, people of Athens, I see that you are very religious. Mm-hmm. Translation, bless your heart. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to set the contrast there. Do you see it? What Paul did not, did not do was, well, you know, this is, your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. We could just respect each other. It's just different. No, sin is sin. Sin is sin, and Paul knows it. But his approach was, I see that you all are very religious. Wow. Instead of him coming out with condemnation and judgment towards these people, he showed honor and validation. Without compromising at all. And by doing so, in this approach, he built a bridge to them where they could hear his message. Because he accepted them and loved them first. How is he able to do this when there's real sin at play in the relationship? It's easy. It's an important principle. And we need this in America. What I'm about to say is very important, and I want everyone in our church to get this. Paul was able to do it because he understood. Remember, Christian behavior follows, comes after faith in Christ. Christian behavior comes after faith in Christ. Jesus commands nothing of somebody before they come to faith in him. All he asks for is just say yes to me and agree that you need me and I'm yours. And then afterward... He begins to work on people by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why Jesus was called the friend of sinners. He was friends with tax collectors, prostitutes, people of ill repute, because Jesus's form of holiness was magnetic to sinful people. But in our country, in our context for the past hundred years, our form of holiness and moralism is like a magnet reversed and it pushes people away because we get it wrong, because we think Christian behavior comes before faith in Christ. No, it follows it. Because this is how Jesus loves sinful people. Jesus wraps his arms around us. And if Jesus had a tattoo, which, you know, whatever. Just roll with me. <laughs> if Jesus had a tattoo and he wraps his arms around sinful people like me and you, it would say across his arms, Acceptance. It doesn't mean he dilutes the truth. Sin is sin. He died for it. He has the scars to pay for it. Sin is a big deal to Jesus. But what do you know? It's true when he wraps his arms of loving acceptance around us. We know that it's true when scripture says it's kindness that leads people to repentance. That's how Paul was able to reach the Athenians. He didn't judge them because of their behavior, because of the real sin that was in their life. He trusted the Holy Spirit would deal with that in time. He doesn't need to worry about it now. His job is to love people and build a bridge. Jesus will take care of the rest. One of my favorite authors, a guy named J.D. Walt, he said this one time, and I heard it. It's not even written anywhere. I just heard him say it, and I had to write it down. Grace is so radical. It's willing to be mistaken as the affirmation of sin. Is there any pre-Christian person in your life you're loving so radically that other people are going to mistakenly think you're affirming of any sin in their life? I hope so. Because that's what Jesus did with you and with me. I remember, Christian behavior comes after faith in Christ. And so after he has established relationships and he's leading out with this wonderful principle of how to love people who are not yet right with God, then he just does this very last thing which is so important. Twenty two, or excuse me, verse twenty-three, Paul set out for I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship. Now imagine this, he's looking at the statues. He's looking carefully. And Paul is even quoting their authors, he's quoting their poets, he's quoting their worldview. He's looking, he's looking, he's inspecting, and looking carefully. And hmm. And then he comes to one statue and says, to an unknown God. I could use this. Hey, I would like to have a conversation here about this statue. Can we talk about this? And then the rest is history, and the handoff has begun. See, what Paul teaches us is that once you build a bridge with pre-Christian people and non-Christian people in your life, if you look carefully for ways to connect them to Christ, you not only have built a bridge, you can walk over the bridge to them and share Christ with them if you look for ways of how God is already at work in another person's life, like we talked to a couple weeks ago, and you just help them go, hey, let me show you this, and you help them connect the dots of God's grace in their life. This is why Christians do Easter eggs. This is why. uh, Contrary to popular belief, this was not done to America by Hallmark. (laughs) You know, several centuries ago, many, many centuries ago, Christian missionaries went to Europe before Europe was Christianized, okay? And in the springtime, there was a holiday and a festival to a goddess of fertility in Europe. And that's why they had bunnies, because bunnies reproduce. (laughs) And things like eggs, because they're symbols of new life. And what do you know, this festival and holiday is right around the same time as Passover when Jesus rose from the dead. And so Christian missionaries looked at all these symbols and went, you bunch of sinners, that's idolatry and you're worshiping demons with your stupid eggs. (laughs) They didn't do that. They said, you know, I see that you are very religious in every way. In fact, it's a wonderful concept to lift up new life. That's praiseworthy of you. We want to have a conversation. What's the best version of new life? And the best version of new life is not whatever your goddess is telling you about. Let me just tell you about an empty tomb Mm -hmm. with a risen Lord who's alive and living today and whose resurrection power he offers to you. And what do you know? They believed and they received the handoff. And no one today worships a false goddess of fertility anymore. But that whole pagan religion got swallowed up in the empty tomb of Jesus. And so we see Christians with Easter eggs. You're seeing somebody who did what Paul did in Athens. They look carefully for ways to connect people to Christ. And we're living with the evangelism symbol of missionaries from centuries ago. So just like how there's gonna be a ton of kids here next weekend looking carefully for these eggs. I wonder if you could look carefully for Easter eggs in the lives of your non-Christian friends and family. Hey, well, look at that. I see you're very spiritual in every way. Let's have a conversation. You'll hand off to someone else. This is why it's perfect that we're going to end our service today with communion. Because when Billy and the team, as they're coming up on the stage, they sang a song called Lead Me to the Cross. So good, right? And really, all of worship... Is about coming to the foot of the cross. And that's why Christians have said for centuries that the climax of a worship service is not the music, it's not the preacher, it's Jesus' table where he's the friend of sinners and invites sinners to come eat at his table to remember his sacrifice with the body and the blood of Christ with the bread and the juice. But that's what the handoff is too, guys. It's to lead people to the cross and to the table of the friend of sinners. Now, before We come and eat at Jesus' table. The scriptures tell us that we should examine our hearts and confess our sins to God, confess our need for the cross. So I invite you now, wherever you're at, would you bow your heads, even those streaming online? I invite you to bow your heads. I want you to take a few moments to confess your sins to the Lord. Do that now. scripture says that while we were still sinners, while our behavior was still messed up, that's when Jesus died for us and it proves that Jesus loves us. So therefore, in the name of Jesus, you and I, we are forgiven. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. Amen. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he blessed it, and he broke it. He said, this is my body. given for you take and eat and do so in remembrance of me likewise he took the cup he gave thanks for it and he blessed it he said this is my blood the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins take and drink it all of you in remembrance of me So, Heavenly Father, we say thank you for every wonderful thing you've ever done for us, but the best, most wonderful, loving thing you ever did was sending your Son to die an atoning death for our sins on the cross so that we could be forgiven and free and for raising him from the dead so that we might know life and life to the full. Pour out your Holy Spirit on this bread and on this juice. Make it be for us the body and blood of Christ and pour out your Holy Spirit on all of us gathered here today so that we may be your body for a broken and lost world that's in desperate need of a handoff. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So friends, may the God of hope fill you all with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll see you at the Egg Hunt next weekend. Go handoff. God bless you. See you next week.